Good morning and happy Sabbath. It is good to be back with you at the Fox Valley Church, and I am honored to be a part of the EAA Air Adventure Weekend. I'm curious to know how many of you are here because of the EAA Adventure Air Adventure Weekend. Welcome. We are glad that you are here, and I have had the, the privilege to be there a few times and have enjoyed, enjoyed very much the uh, Air Adventure. I'm what you would call a pilot wannabe. When I had the time, I didn't have the money, and when I have the money, I don't have the time. But I have always enjoyed flying and enjoy uh, airplanes. And I grew up at, in Angwin, California, and spent quite a bit of time as a child at the Angwin Airport and enjoying watching the planes and being a part of that, uh, that culture. It wasn't until a couple of days ago that I found out that being a part of the Massa breakfast meant being up and here at 5.30 in the morning. I don't think that would have changed my answer, but it did add a new wrinkle to, uh, to my weekend. But it is good to be here to, to worship with you and to spend time in God's Word. Now, our scripture was read by, by Luke, and he read from the book of John, chapter 15, and we're going to get there partway through the sermon. But I would like to start out with a story that takes place in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus. And we'll be looking at chapters 32, 33, and 34. But as we start there, I am going to be asking throughout the sermon a total of three questions. And these are not questions that I'm going to ask for a raise of hands or a verbal response, but these are questions that hopefully stir your thinking and cause you to seriously look at your own life and your walk with Jesus. We find in chapter 32 of the book of Exodus, we find the children of Israel are around Mount Sinai. Moses has been up in the, uh, in the mountain for 40 days. And he is coming down from the mountain. Now all of the people have been told to stay away from the mountain. Joshua meets him partway up the mountain. Then they come down together. And we find the story as we pick it up there in verse 17 of Exodus 32. It says, And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is noise of war in the camp. But he, Moses, said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but I hear the sound of singing. Can you imagine with me? I like to, I like to picture things in my mind, and I, I can imagine Moses and Joshua coming through the, the trail as it curves down the mountain. They come around some big boulders, and they can hear the sounds down below in the plains, and they have this quick conversation, and Moses turns the corner, and he's holding those tablets of stone that have been written on by God's own finger. He sees those, and he looks down, and he sees the people, and he quickly, in an instant, sees that golden calf and those people dancing around and cutting themselves and doing all kinds of immoral acts. And the next verse says, And as soon as he came near the camp, 
he saw the calf and the dancing, and so Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hand, and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. This is the second time in Scripture that we find Moses with an anger problem. Remember, he killed a couple of people back in Egypt because he got angry. And here we find Moses again getting angry, so angry that he threw down those tablets of stone. And then it says, Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, he scattered it on the water, and made the children of Israel drink it. I would say that Moses was angry. But if we were to peel back that anger in Moses' heart, we would find supreme disappointment. You think about it. Moses had poured his life into these children of Israel. He had been persuaded by God to take on this mission. He was really not a person who said, I'm willing to go, Lord, just send me. God really had to talk him into leaving Midian and going back to Egypt where he knew he was a wanted man. And he spent time there trying to persuade Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go and encountered all kinds of resistance. Then when he got the children of Israel out of Egypt and they got there to the Red Sea, all he could hear behind him was complaining. And when God provided a wonderful miracle, brought them through the Red Sea and onto the other side, it wasn't more than it seemed like a few hours before they were complaining again. And I can picture Moses interspersed with that terrible anger, a tremendous disappointment. And I could have easily pictured him looking up to, and to God and saying, God, I'm done. I've tried, I've done everything I could, I've done exactly as you've told me to do, but I'm done. They've turned their backs on me. Do with them what you will, but I'm walking away. But you know, that's not what happens. If we go down to chapter 32, verse 30. It says, now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. Well, they knew that. Moses had told them that. He, but he said, now I will go to the Lord and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Where had Moses been the previous 40 days? He had been up on the mountain having close communion, one-on-one conversation with God, he had not only received the Ten Commandments, he had been given the whole plan of salvation in types, the sanctuary service, the tabernacle, and he understood what that word atonement meant. It meant sacrifice. It meant one dying for another. And we come to verse 31, it says, Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. What love. Moses said, God... These people have rejected me, but I am willing to give up everything for them. 
You know, it wasn't just the children of Israel who looked forward to going to Canaan. Moses wanted to go to Canaan, that land flowing with milk and honey. He was looking forward to getting there too, but he said, Lord, I'm willing to give that up. I'm willing to give up my future life with all of the things that lie still ahead of me. I'm willing to give that up. Take my life, if you must, for the people. And Lord, if you cannot blot the sins of these people out without my life being lost, I am willing to die and have my name written out of the book of life. I am willing to give completely for these people. Question number one. Do we love people like that? Are we willing to give of ourselves like that? Now, you think about it. These were not necessarily all of Moses' friends. Some of them particularly didn't like him, but they were following him just because that was the only way to get to Canaan. They had turned against him. They had complained about him. They had threatened him. But he said, I love you, and I'm willing to give everything for you. And that takes us back to our scripture for the morning that that Luke read for us there in, in John chapter 15. John chapter 15 says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. The question that I ask, do we love people like that? Jesus is saying we as Christians need to. Love with that same depth of love that we are willing to give whatever is required to make sure to people have the opportunity to know Jesus. Moses did. Esther did. Other Bible characters, we find them willing to give of themselves for others. Go back with me to Exodus. Exodus chapter 33, verse 1. And as we begin to read here, it is important to listen to the pronouns. You know, I, you, we, I, you, he, we, you, they, pronouns. Chapter 33, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite, the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I should consume you on your way. For you are a stiff-necked people. Whose people are they? Whose people are the children of Israel right at this point? God is saying, Moses, they're your people. No, they haven't rejected you, Moses. They've rejected me. They've turned their backs not on you, Moses, but they've returned their backs on me. 
I cannot go with them because if I was to go with them while they are in their rebellious condition, I would consume them with my righteousness. But I will make the way straight. I will make the way smooth. I will get the the enemies out of your way so that you can lead the people that you have brought and you take them on to Canaan. Moses was faced with a quandary because Moses knew that when they had come out of Egypt, they were God's people. And it was only through a miracle of God that they were there where they were around Mount Sinai, that they had come through the Red Sea, that they had been delivered and protected. He knew it was only by God, but now God was saying, they're your people, Moses. They have turned their back on me. We go down to verse 7. It says, And then Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp. We go down to verse 9. It says, And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle, which is now the tent that he had taken outside of the camp. He called that the tabernacle. When he entered the tabernacle, that pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses, and all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose and worshipped each man in his own tent door. They could see that pillar of cloud which had used to be over them. Now was over Moses in his tent. And had gone away from them. And it settled down to where Moses was, and God encountered Moses there in the tent. And the people watched. And it says they each worshipped from their own tent door. Moses thought to himself, I'm sure, God will not meet with the people of Israel because they are wicked. But, you know, he and I are still on good speaking terms. If I take my tent and put it outside, maybe he will come and meet with me. And God did come and meet with Moses. God met with him, communed with him. We go on to verse 12, and then Moses said to the Lord, this is the time, they're in the tabernacle, the tent of Moses together. Then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I might find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. This was the plea of Moses, Lord, adopt them back. Please, Lord, they are too many, they are too too more too challenging for me to handle i can't do it on my own god please take them back and verse 14 says and he said my presence will go with you and i will give you rest then he said to him this is moses saying to god if your presence does not go with us do not bring us up from here For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. So God said, I will adopt 
I will adopt them back. But Moses said, we will not, I don't want to go. I will not leave here unless or until I know that you are leading again. I'm willing to die in the wilderness, right here at the base of the Mount Sinai. I'm not willing to move on until I know that you are going with me. Question number two. Are we willing to move forward only when we know that God is leading? It doesn't take faith out of the factor because it is still a step of faith because we don't know the results. But if we wait until we know that God is leading us, if we spend time on our knees until we know that God is working with our plans, until we know that when we are walking forward, we are doing so because we have gotten to know him and we've spent time with him, we know that God is leading us, then it is safe to move forward. I will not go unless you lead. Am I sometimes on my own wandering through my life, doing my own thing, not thinking about, am I doing what God wants me to do? It is in this context that we find an interesting episode that sometimes we have kind of taken out of context Not theologically out of context, but time-wise out of context. This is the place in which Moses said, I want to see you, God. Moses has this close relationship with God in his tent in the tabernacle there. And he says, Lord, I want to see your face. Read it with me. So it says in, in verse 18, and he said, please show me your glory. Verse 19, then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses wanted to see God face to face. But Moses at this point still did not realize how different God is from him. He was having this close conversational communion with God. And he said, God, you and I are very much alike. We're together on this. I want to see you face to face. And God said, no. You can see my backside as I go by. And it changes Moses' perspective. Verse 8 of chapter 34 says, so Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Listen to the pronouns again. Then he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. Up until this point, Moses has said, God, it's you and me over here, and it's the children of Israel over here. But when he sees God close up, he realizes it's God over here, and he and the children of Israel over here. 
And he, like Daniel, recognized that they together were with the people and were sinners in need of a Savior. I believe the closer we come to know Jesus, the more we will recognize our own sinfulness. The more we will recognize how different we are than the lovely Jesus, but how much more we want to be like that lovely Jesus. You know, it's easy for me to to stand at a distance from somebody and think I'm about the same size. But when Tony and I get close up, there's obviously a difference in size. And the closer I get to Jesus, the closer I come to God, I realize there is a difference. And I want to be like him. And I've got a long way to go. But God still calls and God says, I will make you like me. I will bring you to closeness. I will make you righteous, not because you are righteous, but because I will put my righteousness in you. Moses identified with the children of Israel as one of them. Doesn't that sound like another person in the New Testament? Emmanuel, the one who became one of us. Question number three. Are we willing to identify with the people that God has called us to lead? Are we willing to identify with the people that God has placed in our path that he has given us the responsibility of having influence over to lead them closer to Jesus? Are we willing to identify and be a part of those people? You know, as Christians, often we are more comfortable with the metaphor of being the light on the hill than we are being the salt in the food. It is easy to say, I will let my light shine, but am I willing to mix it up with the people that God has called me to work with? Am I willing to be a part of the community, not just to shine a light on the community? We're called to get our hands dirty. We're called to be a part of the life of the community. And I'm thankful that the Fox Valley Church is a part of that community here, but also is a part of the community that's with the EAA show this week part of the Pathfinder community next week. And I pray that you'll be continually part of the community that is in this valley to draw people to know Jesus. There's a hymn in your church hymnals that you probably have never sung. It's number 581. And we're not going to sing it together this morning, but I would like to read the words of it because it's a challenge. Says, when the church of Jesus shuts its outer door, lest the roar of traffic drown the voice of prayer, make our prayers, Lord, make us ten times more aware that the world we banish is our Christian care. If our hearts are lifted where devotion soars, high above this hungry, suffering world of ours, lest our hymns should drug us to forget its needs, forge our Christian worship into Christian deeds. Lest the gifts we offer, money, talents, time, serve to salve our conscience to our secret shame. Lord, reprove, inspire us by the way you give. Teach us, dying Savior, how true Christians live. There was a missionary years ago. Her name was Evelyn Brandt. She and her husband served in the 
hot country of India, trying to lead people to know Jesus. She and her husband served there faithfully among the the plains of India. She had her sights on the mountains, mountain ranges of India that were in the distance. And she said, those people do not know Jesus either. And so she appealed to the mission board where she had come from in England, the mission board, will you let us go to the mountain people? And they said, no, you stay among the plains people. And she and her husband served there faithfully for many years. (coughs) He passed away there in, in India. The mission board recalled her back to England and said, Evelyn, it's time to retire. And she said, I want to go back to India. And they said, no. They said, we have three reasons, and these are their reasons why they did not want her to go. One, you are elderly. Second, you are single. And third, you're opinionated. But she was also persistent. And she pled and pled with them. And so they said, finally, one year. We will give you one year and then you must retire. And so with joy, she went back to India. And she again, with her eyes set on wanting to serve in the mountains, but following her assignment to work in the plains, she served faithfully during that year. And the year was drawing to a close and the fellow missionaries threw her a party in retirement and said, We will see you later back in England. She said, but I'm retired now. The mission board has no control over me. I'm staying in India, and I'm going to the mountain people. And so she retired and began a life of missionary work among the people of the mountains at the age of 70. And she had her sights on those five mountain ranges to bring Jesus Christ to them. And so she went up with them, worked with them. She became crippled and had to be transported by either uh, an animal or people carrying her because she was quite infirm. But she kept going back to these mountain people and she served and faithfully brought Jesus to those five mountain ranges and to two additional mountain ranges. She returned back to England with what was her last year of her life. She had spent 24 years among the mountain people in India because she loved people like Moses. She was willing to move forward as God led, and she was willing to mingle and be with the people. It's my prayer that we would have that same kind of passion that Moses and Evelyn and other people of faith have had. John Knox of Scotland said, Give me Scotland or I die. What about us? Do we say, Give me Fox Valley or I die? Give me my neighborhood or I die. Do we have that same kind of passion? And my prayer is that you and I will have that same attitude of Moses that we would love people, that we would be willing to go forward as we know God is leading, that we are willing to identify 
with the people that God places in our path. And could it be that only as we learn to love people like Moses did, that we will ever stand on that sea of glass and sing the song of Moses and the Lamb? Dear Lord, we are so thankful for the messages in Scripture that give us hope and encouragement, but messages that also give us challenge. And Lord, I pray that we would love people as you have loved us, that we would love people in intermingle and be a part of others as you have been a part of us. And Lord, I pray that you would work with us and that we would work with you and that we would be faithful to you in leading others to know Jesus. And Lord, in a few moments, we're going to be downstairs and we're going to be having food together and fellowship. And I thank you for what blessings you have given us. And we thank you for those who prepare the food. We ask that you would bless our fellowship and continue to help us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.